you'd like to turn to the book of Galatians, follow along, be reading a few verses. Galatians 1, and it'll be starting in verse 10. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord, our God, as we open up your book of life, I just pray, O Lord, that uh, I represent you properly in this text. I pray that you give us a, a measure of maturity, Lord, a measure of understanding that we know you better through this message. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians, starting in the first chapter, starting in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. We'll be covering more verses, but... Again, we come to this epistle of Paul's, which is ripe with biblical truths. Many biblical scholars call it the Magna Carta of the Bible, the foundational book. Because there's so many truths found in it. There's so much wisdom found in it. And I mentioned two of them last time, the formal truth, which some call it, which is the authority of the Scriptures. And then the material truth. How we're saved. How do we live? What do we do? with the truths that we find in these scriptures after salvation. So what it was hinges for Paul as he addressed these Galatians was that he was preaching the truth. And that hinged on him being an apostle, which we covered Last message, but I didn't get quite to the end. We'll finish that today. But that is vitally important that we accept that, as the Galatians did, as all of Christendom did does. That Paul is not an afterthought. He's not a secondary apostle. He's an apostle with the same standing of the others. And sometimes I can understand why people think that maybe he isn't. Because he even says, I'm the least of the apostles. But he says that because he's the least person worthy to be an apostle, he feels. Because he persecuted the church. But he is an apostle. It's divine revelation. So what we covered last time, I'm just going to go over real quick. He was set apart because this is for all of us. He was predestined before he was even born to be an apostle to the Gentiles, just like you're predestined to be sitting in these pews. 
protested by God the Father. And then Paul was called by God, just as you were. You were called by God for salvation and for the tasks that you are to do. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And what happens then is God the Father, he reveals his Son to us. You know, it tells us in other portions of Scripture, God, Jesus said, I have lost none that you have gave me, Father. So the Father gives us his gifts to Jesus Christ, and he does that by revealing Jesus Christ to us. And then we are radically changed. Or a new creation. That's for all of us as well. We're a new creation in Christ. The old things are passing away. Our old sins, our old bad habits, our own, own understanding of who God is has changed. We now obtain the wisdom that we can understand the scriptures, and the more we seek out to understand God, the more he reveals himself to us. And that brings up the next point. Paul would no longer be a man-pleaser, just like we must not be man-pleasers. For it tells us, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? Man, Paul was a perfect man-pleaser. He wanted to please all these leaders. He was their star student. He was zealous to please them by persecuting the church. Paul loved the false teachers. He loved the accolades before his transformation. And he was an overachiever. He even got permission from these false prophets, false churchmen, to wipe out Christianity. So he did it with zeal. But it was Jesus Christ who knocked him off his horse. God intervened. Next nine, but Paul, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Paul was living out a false gospel for those around him. 
If we are not adding to the true gospel, we are deleting from it. We are pleasing man. We are compromising. No matter how zealous we are, no matter what our intentions are, if we are man-pleasers, it usually leads us away from God. It's easy for many people to say, well, we have to just get along to get along, you know, to go along. It's just a little different. Don't worry too much about it. They believe a little different. But they're zealous. They love their God. They love their faith. Just let them be. When it comes to the core values of the Christian gospel, we cannot let it be. They are on their way to hell. They're preaching another Jesus, a false Jesus, or adding to his work, his atoning work. Jesus plus anything, it's a false gospel. It's Christ alone through faith alone, by grace alone. And that is a hill to fight on. That's why Paul does not have a lot of niceties in this letter. He's in a battle. He's battling for the souls of men and women. He's battling for his king. He's not going to please men. He's going to please God. He said, For I am now... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gloves are off. Paul understood after salvation where his duty lies. His loyalty. And for Paul... He would defend that true gospel as zealously as he tried to destroy it, if not more. He had an understanding he would never be an enemy of God again. You know, and that's all of us. When we're saved, we're no longer enemies of God. New creations, old things things pass away. Our lives are forever changed if you are a true believer. The sins we accepted in the past, we will remember them. God will forget them. But in our remembrance, we should remember what a loving God He is, that He saved us while we were yet sinners. And it should propel us to live a more vibrant Christian life because we understand the depth of our sins. What wretches we were before Christ. However, we can remember those sins, but we must never let those sins be an anchor around our legs to hold us back from doing our duty. 
Those very sins should propel us to be more zealous for Christ, understanding that we've been forgiven. And that's what Paul did. He used his sins as an example of what a wretch he was before Christ. He let people rub his face in his own sins because he knew that it demonstrated the greatness of the forgiveness that God will give, that he'll even forgive a man like Paul who was persecuting the church, dragging men, women, and children off in chains. Magnificent grace. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Here he's gone back to Jerusalem, to Judea. How many Christians would he run into that would say, Paul, you had my wife hauled away and I never saw her again? Or my children? Where are they? It was your thugs that took them away. Paul's sins did not make his life easy as a believer. But his knowledge of knowing the forgiveness of those sins made him a great man of God. He understood the grace of God. And that the last point that I'll bring up, and that's astonishment. He's astonished that these Galatians are not believing like they should anymore. Our astonishment should be that God loves us. That God loves you. He loves me. When our lives have been changed over to Him. Think about that. The perfect God of creation loved us while we were yet sinners. And we're still sinners and He still loves us. It's not our righteousness that makes us clean. It's the work of Jesus Christ. Yet God continually loves us with that perfect love. Even if we have a lousy day as a Christian, or the best day in our life as a Christian, God's love never changes. You can't change perfect love. We should be astonished at that when we understand the depths of the love of God. It will propel us to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. But also, we also should be astonished and saddened by those we know and we care about who hear the gospel message and reject it and go after another message, another place for comfort, a false God. Astonished that they hear the truth and won't accept it. A sadness. It should be a burden to our hearts. 
Paul was astonished. Paul was astonished at these people, their churches that he started, and they were straying away, falling away from the true gospel. Adding man-made additions, something that the Jews did in the past, time and time again to the point that Jesus called them snakes, vipers, blind-leading the blind, sons of Satan, following their father, Satan. That's what happens when we add to or take away from the gospel. We're saying we know better than God. We make ourselves to be God. We're not astonished at the love of God anymore or the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we will have everything perfect. We won't have our disagreements. But on the core values of Christianity, there must be unity. The clear teachings. You know, there are some teachings that the Bible says it's like looking through a stained glass or a tinted glass. There are times when we say we're with other brothers and sisters who agree on some positions that are different than us. And that's fine. There's many hills out there that aren't worth dying on. A church can be torn apart by petty little things. We all have to walk like a duck and look like a duck and dress the same. We're not accepted into our church club. No. Core doctrines are worth standing up for. Petty things disgust them and get on with living the Christian life. As we mature, those things will be sorted out. God has a way of doing that. That's why it calls elders, people who lived a while, who've made the mistakes, who've learned from their mistakes, who've walked down the wrong roads. But God gave them the wisdom to be like the Bereans and listen to what the Scriptures say, not how they feel. I mean, you can see what feelings have done for this nation. Boy, I feel like a girl today, a boy or whatever. I mean, what do they call it now? Fluid sex genders or whatever. Biblical truth is biblical truth. Our feelings many times are wrong. So we should be astonished to the point of the seriousness of keeping with the true faith. To be those servants of Jesus Christ. And there are times when we must stand up, call truth as truth, boldly and not back down. Particularly when it's the core values of Christianity. And somebody says, Jesus is not enough. Jesus plus. Or Jesus really wasn't the Son of God. So I guess that's kind of the end of the last sermon. So we'll start 
the importance of Paul as being an apostle. So that he's known for preaching the true gospel and the importance of that. You know, it tells us in Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Our church, Christianity, is founded on the apostles and the prophets. They laid those truths out. When I'm talking church, it's not the buildings, it's the people. We are the temple, the temple into a holy temple in the Lord. That's us. So it's vitally important for Paul to establish that he was a true apostle. Because his teachings are foundational. And we must accept them as foundational. I mentioned last time, several times I've had heard people come up and tell me that uh, they like the gospel writers, but they don't agree with the writings of Paul. And I just tell them, well, it tells me not my Bible that all Scripture is God-breathed. But that is basically what the Galatians were saying about Paul. He's really not a true apostle. He's secondary. So we can add to his teachings, he didn't quite get it right. That's why it was so important for Paul to defend his apostleship, which he did masterfully. So we go into verse 10 for now. For am I now... Seeking the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, that was Paul's whole ministry. In spite of being beaten, stoned, imprisoned, left for dead, he stayed true to Christ. But he knew the only way he could be true to man was to stay and remain true to Christ. We must never compromise to please man for so-called unity or anything else. It's far easier to let things pass than to stand up and say, no, we cannot. We don't like conflict. We have no choice, so we're in a spiritual battle, and we must be God-pleasers. We must stand up for the core doctrine of the Christian faith, Christ alone by grace alone, through faith, period.
And all through verses 11 through 24, we covered those in the last message. Paul gives his defense that he is an apostle, appointed and trained by our risen Lord. I am going to read them just for a reminder. Because I wanted you to know how important it was that Paul set this foundation that he is part of the foundation of the church. Tells us in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, there's the man-pleasers, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and and remained with him only 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. What we notice in this first chapter is Paul's avoidance. His avoidance of the apostles, the church leaders. When he did go to Jerusalem, he went there for two weeks. Not enough time to be taught the scriptures. He's making it clear His revelation was coming from God, just as the other apostles had received it, directly from Jesus Christ. And he's being very detailed to these Galatians to make that point. What he's saying is there's no way this is a succession teaching that the other apostles taught me. It's a revelation from God. Again, it's because the attacks were that he's a lesser apostle. He's a second-rate apostle. His words are not absolute truth. He really didn't walk with Jesus before Jesus was killed like the other apostles. So he's teaching errantly. 
See, man likes to justify why they can add to the Scriptures or their own biases, what they feel would be a better way for salvation or how to live the Christian life. Well, if everybody was just like me, the church would grow a lot faster. How do you know? How do you know how others are, what others are called to? We each have our part to play. Figure out your own part. Let everybody else figure out their own. God will reveal it to them. When we get into chapter 2, though, it's the complete opposite. What do we see? Now Paul is going to be by the apostles. He's led to the apostles. Remember when we went through the book of Acts, many times Paul said he was blocked from going places. Or God directed him to go places. Paul was always walking with revelation, right in tune with God. Listen to the time frame. Then after 14 years, starting in chapter 2, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. See, a revelation. God is directing him. Go to Jerusalem. And set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit to go up to Jerusalem. It's important, though, him how we see what he does when he goes there. Though privately before those who seemed influential. Paul went up to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders, those who seemed to be influential, to discuss the matter privately. He didn't go building a consensus with them to form a schism in the church. He went privately, hoping that this matter could be resolved through church leadership without causing damage to the church or to the false teachers, those who were straying away. Very important lesson. If we have issues, if we have conflict, talk to the church leaders. Don't form schisms and try and get a group together to try to make your point more important. Be like the Bereans. Be mature Christians. Talk to the leaders. Work it out. What is scriptural? What is biblical? That's what Paul is doing here. 
And to understand this clearer, we have to read Acts 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. This problem was going throughout the church so much. And these brothers were coming from Judea, where Jerusalem is. They're teaching that, Paul, you did it wrong. You have to teach these Gentiles that they have to be circumcised. They have to be part of the Mosaic law. They can't be saved. They called a council together to resolve this problem. The first council in Jerusalem. But notice there's no small dissension when these Judaizers came down and were preaching a different gospel. That's a nice way of saying there was a big fight. This was a big issue. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, they rattled the cages at even the apostles. They said, we got to deal with this. This is tearing the church apart. Again, there is a time to fight when there is core doctrine at stake. There is a time to stand up on the clear teachings of Scripture. It's our duty. It's our duty. Again, we do not like conflict. Who does? I don't like conflict in my life, in my family. But there is a time to fight. There is a time to stand up for truth. Paul says, I went up because of revelation. Paul was being led by the Spirit. You can one, you know, we may ask ourselves, how can this be in such conflict? These are the people who walked with Jesus. Walked with our Lord. Taught by our Lord. Many of the people in the churches probably were baptized by John the Baptist. And yet they're having a big fight over an issue in the church. The ones teaching the false teachings were coming from Judea, around Jerusalem, which was the center of the apostolic church. Tells us, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. 
It was now time to be affirmed by the other apostles that the gospel he was preaching is the true gospel. And Paul was not afraid to meet with the church leaders, those who seemed influential. I think that's him criticizing those who are preaching it wrong, who are agreeing with the Galatians. Again, take your personal issues privately to the church. Try to resolve it as Paul did. And many a times that avoids much conflict. But also we must realize there will be conflict. There was conflict in the early church. All throughout church history there was conflict. There was difficulties. We're not perfect saints. We don't know everything. So there will be conflict. There will always be something going on in a church, just as there is always something going on in our families, it seems. We're a fallen people. Conflict is part of maturing. Expect it, and you won't be disappointed. If you think you're going to find a church where there's no conflict, good luck. Because I guarantee you, you won't. Paul is meeting with the other apostles, and he did not waver one bit. He brought a a test case along, a Greek named Titus. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Paul did not give an inch. He tells us, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You know, these false teachers had a lot of zeal. They were even spying on Paul and on Titus secretly, trying to blend in. Oh, we're with you, Paul. But trying to check out to see if Titus was really circumcised, to see if Paul was a hypocrite. They're doing whatever they could to undermine Paul's some of these truly were sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing they were trying to destroy the church and that's the most dangerous threat to the church it comes from within false teaching from within we know the wolves will attack from the outside so when we get knifed in the back when we don't expect it that it's so devastating. Yet, 
They came in the spy to put men under bondage of the law for their salvation, enslave them, bring us into slavery. Paul says we did not yield for a moment. He didn't give them a foothold. Core doctrine is core doctrine. You cannot add or detract from it. You know, it's sad we live in a world nowadays. I heard something on the radio the other day that made me sick. The churches that accept homosexuality and transgenderism have come up with a new creed that is just sickening. Makes you sick just to hear it. And I'm astonished that they will stoop that low. But if the truth isn't defended, it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper away from Christianity. And what people accept is not good. No saving faith. It breaks my heart that so many people are being deceived. So what have we learned so far? Paul's a true apostle. His teachings are inerrant. If we say we don't like the writings of Paul, we need the maturity, we need the clarification, we are wrong. Period. The true gospel message is worth defending. We cannot please men. We have to stand up and do our duty. Again, there are minor issues. That we can live with each other. Disagree on. But not on the core issues. There are times when the gloves must come off. And we must be bold and sharp and upfront with those teaching a false gospel. I know when I have Jehovah Witnesses come to the door, I just tell them you're teaching a false gospel and you're guiding people to hell. I don't hold back. Isn't that what they're doing? And then I tell them, why don't you come back on your own instead of having the two people in the car watch you knowing that they won't let you come back alone to hear the true gospel. Stand up for the faith. It might just save their lives. I don't know. I'm doing it because I love them and care for them. They're promoting a false gospel. It astonishes me that many people who have walked with in the past who profess to be believers 
and just walk away from such love. From a God who died for us while we were yet sinners. Who rescued us from the wrath of God. Had that wrath put on himself. I'm astonished that we have a God who predestined us before the beginning of time and called us to be his sons and daughters. Why me? Why you? It's because of his grace. But he called you to saving faith. Does that astonish you? That the God of creation had a plan for your salvation before you're even born? I don't know about you who are parents. I'd die for my kids. Yet God the Father crushed His Son because He loved you that much. Yeah, He did it through the hands of the Romans. But Isaiah tells us, please God, to crush His Son. To take our punishment. Does that astonish you? Does it astonish you that no matter how our Christian walk goes up and down when we're truly saved, God loves you? And that love will carry you all the way to eternity and His love will never change. I think lastly... We're in a spiritual battle. Expect conflict. Conflict within your own being. Do you struggle with sin? Are you satisfied with yourself sometimes? Or do you give in and say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. And you know the depths of your sin, but you still have the faith and the understanding, the astonishment that God loves you. Expect conflict. But that very conflict should bring us to maturity, to a more mature faith. You know, Paul goes through how he was going through all these areas, but he was taught by Jesus Christ. He kept maturing into the true faith. And he had a lot of baggage to throw off. He was so zealous for the old faith. He needed a lot of correction. We all need correction. So he should continually study God's Word. Study the commentaries of some of the writers. The older ones, I believe, are a lot better. Seek out the wisdom from older saints, more mature saints, particularly the young people. 
you will have stuff wrong. Believe me. We all did. But don't worry. God's faithful. He'll straighten it out. He will mature us. He who started a good work and you will complete it. He'll complete it more rapidly if we humble ourselves and seek the wisdom of others, more mature Christians who've proven their walk over the years. We're not perfect, but God loves you. He loves his church, and he's using each and every true believer to advance that church. It's our duty to do what we can to obtain the knowledge which he turns into wisdom to be a more active participant in the maturing of the body. But it starts with they cannot be led astray with a false doctrine. And that's what Paul is defending here, the true gospel. It is worth fighting for. Let us pray. My Lord, our God, as we study this book of Galatians, I just pray that you give us a maturity that we did not have and a boldness that we need to stand up to protect your kingdom, Lord, to stand as your ambassadors, your true ambassadors, who will take the flack and the heat when we serve you, O Lord. Teach us to be such a people. Amen.